Let's get started with a word of prayer. Father, we, we thank you once again for this day that we can gather together as a body to study your word, to worship you, to learn what you would have to show us and reveal to us about yourself through your word. I pray that you would be with us as we continue to dive in how to study your word and as we talk about moving from the knowledge and the study of your word to appropriately applying your word. I pray that you would be with us, that you would illumine our minds to what you would have to show us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we, we continue our study through, you know, last week we, we introduced the idea of the of application. We had moved from observation to interpretation into application of the word. And we talked about how you know, application is really where the rubber meets the road. We're moving from we're moving from just simply observing what the scripture has to say, um, interpreting the meaning of it, but moving into how does this apply to me today? How how what was said there and then to a different people apply to me here and now today? And this, this really is the step where studying of Scripture moves beyond just an academic study to a personal study. Because you know, many, you know, many scholars of the Bible will read the Bible... And they'll observe, you know, they'll observe the words and the literary features and the structures and, you know, the, the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic text underlying it and can, can interpret what the text is saying. But they look at it as any other book, you know, on, on par with, you know, Caesar's Gallic Wars or something of that nature where... Yeah, I can read and I can study and I can interpret what's being said. But where the study of Scripture moves beyond just the academic study of it to, per, to personal study is in application. Because if we're not going to apply it, why do we study it? This really is where the rubber meets the road. So, as we are in the appropriating the meaning, you know, last week we were on the establishing the relevance and legitimacy, you know, learning to appropriately apply, you know, not, not every application is, uh, is a legitimate application of it, um, and establishing how is this relevant today. Well, today we're in, how do I, uh, how do I accurately appropriate the meaning, you know, and appropriating the meaning is not just, oh, what does this mean? But this is, what does this mean for me today? How should this affect what I do and what I understand as we move into the next step of doing theology? So, as, as, you know, our, our theme, the theme verse of appropriation uh, is James one twenty two and 25, or one twenty two through 25. You know, we will 
continue to come back to this, you know, kind of open and close, because this really does spell it out. You know, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We have to do. We have to appropriate. What we learn, what we observe, what we interpret has to translate into action in our lives, into how we live our lives, Otherwise, like the man that looks at himself in a mirror and walks away and we forget what we saw. We forget what we read. It has no practical effect. Appropriating the meaning is about living out the text in our world. All the preceding steps of methodological Bible study lead to this point. The point of living out the text in our world. How does what we read and how does, how, do what we, what does, how does what we observe and what we interpret affect how we live our lives in the world around us? When the, now, we can't have appropriate or legitimate appropriation without everything else leading up to it. If we've mishandled the word at the level of observation and interpretation, then logically what follows, misappropriation, is what happens next. Um, you may have seen the memes on Facebook going around where people reply, well, you're not David. Well, there's, the joke is, though, because you've been, the person has been so off on their observation and interpretation of you know, the story of David. You know, be a David and overcome your Goliath. You know, they, they observe, well, you know, David was up against this huge giant and he went up and, and because he had faith, he could overcome the... But is that what the text is really talking about? Is that what's there? Well, maybe completely taken out of context, one could go there, but the context of that doesn't support it. The whole context of that is establishing David as the legitimate and rightful king, the forerunner of the Messiah. Yeah. In the face of everyone else running away, the legitimate king stepped up and said, I'll fight him. It's establishing his right to rule. Much like what we saw in the book of Ruth, you know, judges into Ruth, you know, the need for a king. And then Ruth is essentially a polemic on, well, David is the legitimate king. Well, that, that gives a much different application than, well, be a David and overcome your Goliaths. You're not David. Yeah. When, you, when you observe wrongly, when you interpret wrong, when you mishandle the word at the level of observation and interpretation, misappropriation follows. So in order to do this correctly, 
we have to have done the other stuff. We can't just open it up. Oh, hey, that's what it says. Yep, I'm going to go do that. Well, this may not work out so well. Sound biblical knowledge is the fuel that feeds spiritual transformation and growth. You know, Paul talks about in Romans 12, you know, to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Uh, application, appropriation, is transformation. How does what we read transform us? How does that how does that translate into application and how we live our lives as Christians in a fallen and broken world? Because, and spiritual transformation is ultimately personal transformation. It is an active knowledge of what the text means for me today. That's not to say that the text was written to me, because it wasn't. It was written to a particular people at a particular time in a particular place for a particular reason. And yet we believe that the word of God is eternal. And while it may have been spoken and written 3,000 years ago, it has meaning for us today because God's word is eternal and God is unchanging. So what was true about God 3,000 years ago and revealed in his word is true about him today. God's desire is not just that his people would simply know the truth, but that they would be transformed by the truth. Could someone look up John 8, 31 and 32? And really, we could read this whole section in John 8 because it all is talking about the same thing. But I think 31 and 32 are, are a fairly accurate summation of this whole section of the text. Do you have it? <laughs> Do you have it, Ken? Okay, John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not just about us knowing the truth, but knowing the truth should have an effect. You know, Jesus talks about if we know the truth, that the truth sets us free. That that knowledge of the truth should transform something about the fundamental nature of who we are. And Jesus talks about being set free. Now he goes on later in that section and he talks and he builds more on that. But knowing the truth should have a transformative effect. You know, this, this really is, like I said, this is, you know, this part of application is more than just the academic studying, okay, what are the words, what's the structure, what's there, what are the literary features. Their appropriation 
also has, there is a, fundamentally there is a spiritual component. This isn't just the academic study of it. Like I said, you know, biblical scholars and literary scholars have studied the Word of God as just simply another literary work, and they do a lot of what we've talked about through this, you know, the observation, you know, what's there, what are the terms, what's the structure, what's the context, they do this. What makes inductive Bible study different, it's the application. And application fundamentally involves the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not just simply an academic pursuit. If we were looking at how to study the Bible as an academic pursuit, we could have stopped two weeks ago. But what good is that? We become knowers and not doers. Our goal is to become doers. Observation requires hard work. You know, if you, if you recall back the number of weeks ago when we were in the beginning section of observing what's there, what are the words, what's the context, what's the background, is there repetition, what are particular literary features, that's work. In fact, that's probably a lot of the work of Bible study happens here in just the observation because if we're not observing even what's there, how do we study it? It involves work. Interpretation requires sharp thinking. You know, oh, this is what I'm observing. Oh, hey, I know what this is, and this means this. Oh, there's an insight here. Oh, this word oh, this word means that, or this structure means that. There's sharp thinking that's involved. Well, again, hard work and sharp thinking, that sounds kind of academic. It is academic. But there's more than just that. Application requires illuminated wisdom. You know, illuminated wisdom is seeing what's there, what does it mean? How does this apply to me today? How should, what effect should this have on my life? What about my life and my behavior needs to change? It's the conviction that something needs to change. That something isn't the way that it should be. That's not academic. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we, when we talk about illumination, a lot of times illumination uh, is this idea that illumination happens during interpretation, that it's this, some people look at it as the aha moment. Oh, that's what this means. Sometimes it's, people will view interpretation as, or illumination as the ability to perceive facts and judge argu arguments with greater clarity. Um, like some type of enhanced logical ability. Some will view illumination as it's God's means of rectifying distortions in people's interpretation of the text. And some even go so far as to say that Nothing else other than illumination is needed. Open up the Bible to any particular text and read it 
and the illumination of the Holy Spirit will enlighten it, and that's all that's needed. I would argue that's that one thing that those particular views are accurate on is it does view that ultimately illumination is divine enablement and divine enablement to accurately interpret. There is, it's not just academic, it is divine enablement. But some will look at the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, well, let me back up. So, you know, when we talk about observation and interpretation, that is the normative procedure for Bible study, for an effective inductive Bible study. It's going to take hard work and sharp thinking. If we sit down and just say, oh, I'm going to open up to any old text and I open up to, you know, a genealogy, well, what's God telling me here? And if I don't put any of the hard work, the normative hard work and sharp thinking into it, I can't just sit back and say, oh, well, God's going to show this to me. I don't need to do any work whatsoever. That's not the normative procedure. Does that happen? Sure. But the normative procedure is there's hard work. While the work of the Holy Spirit can be that of divine enablement to accurately interpret the Bible, when we talk about illumination, illumination is more to do with appropriating the text. It, it is, illumination is ultimately action. How do, we how do we show others, how do we live out that we understand the text, that we know how this applies to my life? by applying it to our lives. Illumination is ultimately action. Consider for a moment Hebrews 11, you know, that great hall of faith, and we're told, you know, about the great cloud of witnesses. When we read through Hebrews 11, they weren't commended for their knowledge of who God is or their knowledge of what the word says they were commended for their faith and specifically they were commended for doing they were commended for applying the word of God what God had spoken to them into their lives yeah God told Abraham Go and leave this land that you know for a land that you don't know that I'm going to show you. Abraham wasn't commended for like, oh yeah, hey, God told me I should go. No, Abraham was commended for going. He would, all of the people in Hebrews 11, they were commended for their faith, for their doing, for their action, for their response to God's word. And that really is when we talk about application and appropriating the meaning, that really is what it is. It's our response through action to God's word. How does this apply to our lives? You know, we talked about the normative procedure, and you know, the Holy Spirit can illuminate our minds to exegetical truth. But this isn't the normative and shouldn't substitute for the hard work. 
we should wrestle with the text. We should examine the text, what's there. You know, Paul commends the Bereans for doing this same thing. Paul says something, well, the Bereans go to Scripture, what's there? Is this true? What does this mean? In Scripture, people are commended for doing this work. But again, it sh our study of Scripture, if it simply stops at observation and interpretation, this is simply an academic study. And it falls short. But what we know, God is ultimately after our heart. Yes, He wants... Yeah, yes, we'll know the truth, as, as Jesus says in, in John, you know, we'll know the truth, but it's our affections, our volition, and our resolve to obey. That's where Scripture applies. So as we read the Scripture, as we observe what's there, as we interpret the meaning of what's there, this is ultimately the end result. This should be our goal. Scripture tells us that this is God's desire. Our heart, our affections, our volition, our resolve to obey, our action. That our will would be transformed into His will. As we read Scripture, we also have to remember what Scripture is. Scripture is the record of the Father's self-revelation in the Son, illuminated by the Holy Spirit. You know, we see this, you know, we're seeing this through the book of Mark, that, you know, because without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, our minds can be darkened to the truth that's right in front of us. We're seeing this in Mark. You know, Jesus is here. The Son is here. The, the long-awaited Messiah is here. He was even baptized and a dove descended from heaven. You'd think people would have gotten it. <laughs> and yet, without the illumination that, that removes the veil of darkness, they don't understand. Yes, I heard the words, yes, I know what you said. But without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, this doesn't have a practical effect in my life. And we saw that with the disciples, no matter how much they heard, until that point where their minds were illuminated to the truth of who Jesus is, they didn't get it. They're walking around bumbling like, they're knowing what Jesus is saying, and we saw this last week, you know, even coming down from the mount, and they just, they saw this great thing in front of them, and they're like, what does this mean? He has to rise from the dead. Well, <laughs> they're asking the questions. They just saw him transfigured in front of them. You'd think they might get, you know what? I don't think death is a big deal for this guy. <laughs> But they didn't get it. it did, their minds were not yet illuminated. 
this reality that Scripture is the record of the Father's self-revelation in the Son illuminated by the Holy Spirit sets the believer on the course where Scripture means something to the believer that it does not mean to the unbeliever. The believer's eyes have been opened to the truth of the gospel. And this is what sets Bible study as an academic pursuit for the non-Christian apart from Bible study for the Christian. The unbeliever who simply is pursuing it as an academic curiosity of you know, what, is, what is probably unarguably the most preserved text throughout the history of the world to this text which has been the most preserved text throughout the history of the world is not just simply another preserved text. It is the record of the Father's self-revelation in the Son. That's what sets this apart. That reality, through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, is what sets it apart, what makes reading Scripture different for the unbeliever. And because of this, because of this illumination, it also helps, as the, the author had said, and I really couldn't sum this up any better than just what, he, what the author stated flat out, it also helps to overcome spiritual opposition in the context of the spiritual warfare that engulfs the entire cosmos ever since Satan first cast doubt on the veracity of God's word. Did God really say? Did he really mean that? This illumination, the illumination of the Spirit to the truth that's in, that is in God's Word, the truth of His Word, is what helps us overcome that opposition in the world. Did God really say? Because if he didn't really say that, if he really didn't mean that, then why do we have to do anything? The illumination of the Holy Spirit confirms the truth of it to us. Because... The answer to that, did God really say, is yes, God really did say. And that should have a transformative effect on the life of the Christian. If God really said, don't do this thing, and I do this thing, there's probably consequences for that. And there probably should be consequences, well not probably, there should be consequences for that. Also, if God said, if God's 
truly revealed in his word. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I can have absolute confidence that I am saved. That's the converse of this. Because of this, I know that what God said then and there to a different people means something here and now to me. And what it revealed about God 3,000 years ago, I can take it to the bank today because God's truth is just as true today as it was 3,000 years ago. And that should give us great confidence. Appropriating the truth is a process of moving from what the text means to what the, what the text means to us to what the text means to me. And this is the culmination of inductive Bible study. Inductive Bible study ultimately is personal study. It moves beyond just the academic study of what the word means to what the word means for me. Now this isn't to say that the text has a meaning to me and it means something different to somebody else. What this does mean is that this should mean something to me. This didn't just mean something to the original recipients, but because God's truth is eternal, this should mean something to me. And so, the Holy Spirit has an undeniable and, in fact, preeminent role in accurately appropriating the meaning. But that's not to say that there aren't certain steps that we can take as we're working through this. There are some practical points of distinction. One is a personal assessment. We talk, then there's reflective meditation, and then there's individual appropriation. In personal assessment, as interpreters of the Bible, we must know the content of the message. However, to appropriate the word of God, we must understand ourselves as, coming, as having come face to face with the word of God. Personal assessment, we must have both a knowledge of scripture and a knowledge of ourselves and who we are in the face of the word of God. Effectual life change doesn't occur in the knowing of facts. If effectual life change happened simply by the knowing of facts, then we would think the most eminent of biblical scholars should be the most profoundly changed. And yet, sadly, we know that's not the case. Effectual life change happens in the spirit-charged conviction that brings those facts to bear on ourselves. Who am I in the face of what the Word of God has revealed? That's the personal assessment. Who am I in the face of what has just been revealed? What does the Scripture say about who I am? 
and newsflash, Scripture doesn't always paint a flattering picture of who I am. For those who are particularly interested in a fairly accurate self-portrait, read the last half of Romans 1. It doesn't paint a flattering picture. So we move to reflective meditation. If personal assessment is a, is a humble searching and assessment of ourselves in the light of what Scripture says, reflective meditation is about what Scripture itself says. Consider Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the entire Bible, 176 verses. And it's a literary masterpiece. It's an acrostic, and each stanza of eight verses begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's absolutely beautiful. And yet, as, we're read, as we read through this, no time is spent talking about an inductive plan or exegetical arrangement or textual analysis, you know, the observation and interpretation. The entirety of Psalm 119 is an emphasis it's on meditation and the permeating presence of Scripture. Each stanza of Psalm 119 begins with, Your word says. Yeah, I wanted to take a quick read through, well, maybe the first stanza or two. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. The word. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. That's in the first eight verses. How many times does David reference the word of God and what it says? And if we thought that this was a, just a one-off, the second stanza begins, How can a young man keep his way pure? By, by guarding it according to your word. With your whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. In the remaining 22 stanzas continue on with that pattern. Praising God, focusing on what do his laws, his precepts, his commandments say, his word. Your, I will keep your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Reflective meditation is exactly this. What does the scripture say? 
He said, if personal assessment is a humble and searching assessment of ourselves, reflective meditation is reflection on what Scripture says. Reflective meditation is a celebration of the Word and its ability to affect change on the mind and heart. Look back, you know, rem remember back those 16 verses of Psalm 119. He wasn't just saying, God, you've said this, you've said this. No, it was a celebration that the Word of God stored in our hearts, can affect change that we might not sin against him. That we, might, that we can bring praise and glory to him by obeying his word, his laws, his precepts, his commands. That the word of God has the ability to affect change on our minds and on our hearts. And finally, there's personal assessment, reflective meditation, and finally there's individual appropriation. And this is where we become doers of the word and not hearers only. This individual appropriation is about what the word of God is doing to us as the reader submits to the text he or she also submits to God. This is the word of God. This is transformation. Paul, Paul exhorts us, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. This is transformation. Our natural bent is towards sin and rebellion and opposition. Submitting to God is transformation it is doing that thing that does not come naturally to us because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us application is an obligation to holiness be holy for I am holy applying the word of God a commitment to applying the word of God is an, is an obligation to holiness. Oof. The study and application of Scripture results in a transformation of our minds into conformity with Christ. Because obedience without transformation is a hopeless struggle. Without transformation, application ultimately falls short. Who, can, who would look up Romans 7.21? Okay, just when you've got it. Romans 7.21. Yep. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Uh, continue on through 23, or 24. 
For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul. 25? No. We're good. I know. <laughs> but this, Paul is painting the picture that simple rote obedience is a hopeless endeavor. Without transformation, we will fail. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us application will ultimately fall short. You know, Paul, Paul talks about this battle that's being waged. I know what it says. I delight in it. And then he answers the question in 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. Yes. The gospel. The, transform, the transforming effect of the gospel on our hearts. The goal of appropriation is the internal active reception of God's word in the life of the believer. When knowing becomes doing. That what we read, that what we observe, that what we interpret, what we know should have a practical, real, observable effect on how we conduct ourselves in the world. Because without it, simply knowing without applying, we have a word for that, it's called hypocrisy. Knowing without doing is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is not a particularly flattering description in Scripture. Individual appropriation moves from the general, people should, to the personal, I will. People shouldn't lie. Yep. That's what scripture says. Oh, so I will tell the truth. Oh, what does the scripture say? Well, people should tell the truth in love. Oh, well, so I will tell the truth in love and gently. Oof. Yeah. It moves from people should to I will. It's not easy. The appropriation, the application, it's not easy. This is the painful part. This can be the very painful part of Bible study. 
Because we know the meaning, we know what's there, but when we reflect on who we are in light of what's there in Scripture, it's sometimes not a flattering, it's not a flattering portrait a lot of the times. And yet, for the Word of God to be living and active in our lives, that's what's necessary. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time where we can wrestle with the reality that your word is living and active, that what was true when you first spoke your word is just as true today. If the truth has not changed because you have not changed. Father, I pray that our endeavor of the study of your word would not simply stop at the academic, but that the transforming power of your spirit would be at work within us, convicting us and showing us who we are in light of your word and what must change to be transformed into the likeness of your son. In Jesus' name. Amen.